Blue Wire. Touchdown pass, 5-4-0 in the 5-0-4. Jackson takes it himself, look at him dart back and forth. Oh, he broke his ankle. Watson stays on his feet, throws on the run, touchdown. Watson, a magician. Welcome back here. It's another episode of the My Sports Update Football Podcast brought to you by BetOnline.ag, your online wagering experts. I'm your host, Ari Mayrov. We made it. Football is back. It's been a long seven months without football. Super long seven months with things happening in the world like we've never seen before. But Thursday night, we will have Mahomes, we will have Watson, we will have the Texans and the Chiefs. On Sunday, we will have 13 games on, 9 early, 3 in the late afternoon window, and the Sunday night game. And then on Monday, we get 2 more for Monday night football. And then from there, away we go with a season that will be unlike ever before. Will it be perfect? Probably not, but the NFL is ready to pull this off, and it's finally here. Football is back. CBS, Fox, ESPN, NBC, NFL Red Zone, whatever it is, you're going to be watching it starting this week. Over the weekend, we saw a bunch of cuts. We also saw some massive extensions with Deshaun Watson, Tredavious White, Keenan Allen, and then we also saw Jadavian Clowney, finally signed with a team as he lands in Tennessee with the Titans. And for this week's opening week episode, we have two amazing guests. Ted Wynn of The Athletic, who does tremendous film breakdown, was my first guest. And we recapped some of the big moves that happened over the weekend, while also previewing week one of the football season And then Nick Underhill, who covers the Saints, and he too does amazing work there covering that team. He comes on as well to talk about the Saints' pursuit of Clowney because that got fascinating the way that almost happened. Alvin Kamara, Drew Brees, and much, much more. Before we go to Ted and Nick, a quick word from our sponsors. Sunday football is back, it's here, and with NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live, out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices, plus Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite teams and your favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the best football Sundays. Use promo code BLUEWIRE, B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E, at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Football is back this Sunday. Again, visit NFLSundayTicket.tv. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE for 15% off. While you will be watching football this week, you will also need some food. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you are craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, 
and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite spot, and your food is on its way. Right now, our listeners here for the My Sports Update football podcast can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more. Download the app and then use the promo code BLUEWIRE, B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E. And then, of course, lastly, with football back, you might not be at the games in the stadiums this year, but you can still be in on the action at betonline.ag. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their special opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day at betonline.ag. Go to their website and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE, B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E, for your free welcome bonus. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, so let's get right into it now. First up, Ted Wynn of The Athletic. Ted does amazing work analyzing film. If you don't follow him on Twitter, go check it out. It is at FB underscore film analysis. I highly recommend it. Here this week on the podcast, we started off by talking about some of the moves from the weekend from Clowney, Rosen, Trubisky, Lynn Bowden, and more. And then shifted to preview the games here in week one. Just a bunch of great matchups to start the season. So some great talk here with Ted. So here it is, my full discussion with Ted Wynn. All right, joining me now here on the My Sports Update Football Podcast. He's one of my favorite Twitter follows, writer for The Athletic, and he's a co-host of the State of the Nation podcast. It is Ted Wynn. Ted, what's happening? Thanks for taking the time. Not too much. Just uh, can't believe the week one is upon us right now, and I'm just kind of mentally preparing myself for the season because, you know, like when the season starts, it's just um, writing, 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 podcast this, and it's just like full go, so... Uh, excited to get going, but um, you know, I know it's going to be a challenge at the same time. Yeah, it's going to be a season like never before. But you know, as you said, it's finally here. Football is upon us, and it was a busy weekend. Not as crazy as usual, I would say. But what I want to do here, we'll preview Week One. But before that, I do want to quickly run down some of the things that happened this weekend because we did have some some interesting headlines happen. First of all. Jadavion Clowney, he's finally on a team. It took forever, but he finally signs with a team, the Tennessee Titans, and he reunites with Mike Vrabel. How big of a threat do you think the Titans are in the AFC after this move? Because they really have a bunch of rock-solid players on this team. Yeah, I mean, they were in the championship game without Clowney on the roster, and they pretty much returned everybody they had on that that team. And obviously adding a guy like Clowney um, is you know, it's, it's extremely beneficial for that defense. And I think Clowney had one of his best years with uh, Vrabel and Houston. I think the way that they use him is really just fits his skill sets. And uh, I think they're going to do the same thing uh, with him there with a even more loaded type of um, rush they have down there. Um, so, yeah, I think that they're going to be really good. A.J. Brown is going to be in his second year. He's going to be better. 
Uh, I think they have one of the better defensive staffs in the NFL. They're extremely well coached. Uh, but the big question is, is Ryan Tannehill for real? Can he uh, repeat what he did last year? Can he improve upon what he did um, last year? That That's the big question. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, we'll talk about the Titans even more later on. They have the late Monday night game here this week. But we had Teron Davenport on this podcast. He covers the Titans for ESPN. And it's just amazing to me just how stacked this defense is, even with players that I feel like most general fans just don't know who they are, like a Daquan Jones or Jayon Brown or Harold Landry, even like a Kevin Bayard who got paid recently. Like he's mm-hmm. super underrated. So it's it's a very it's, it's it's always been the team that I feel like never gets the respect they deserve, especially after what they did last year. We still don't hear about them that much, but after adding Clowney, this is easily one of the best defenses in the AFC. And um, as I said, we'll get back to them later on here when we preview week one. The next move that I want to talk about here is, as as you know, obviously you you know the, Ra- the Raiders pretty well. One of the most surprising moves, I would say, from this past weekend was they trade Lynn Bowden to the Dolphins, their third-round pick from this year, trading a player who has not even played a game yet. Why do you think Vegas would do that? Yeah, I mean, that was pretty surprising. Um, our own Vic Tafer from The Athletic uh, reported a few reasons why that happened. Uh, one was because I think they were they believed he was becoming a distraction. And I, I don't know too much about that. I, I haven't heard anything personally. So I don't want to comment on, on, on that part of uh, why he got traded. Uh, but the other two reasons were more football related. And I, I could comment on that. He, he didn't look as, as explosive as he did on film. And that I could buy. I mean, I, you know, watching him on film, extremely shifty guy, uh, ran away from some, you know, lesser known defensive guys. Uh, but I, I, I kind of questioned this ex- explosiveness watching the film, so I could see that. And, and the, the final reason was that they were trying to transition him to uh, running back, and that transition wasn't going as smooth that they, as they thought it was going to. Uh, he played a lot of wide receiver, and then he kind of switched to quarterback uh, later down in the season because the offense was ineffective, and he put up huge numbers uh, playing quarterback, but more, he was playing quarterback as kind of a, a, a wildcat type player where he was just running the ball. So I think the Raiders saw that and the thought that they could make him a full-time running back and make him a mismatched nightmare with his receiving skills. Um, and I just don't think they were patient enough. I mean, I thought, you know, if you're going to transition running back, this is going to be a developmental type thing. It's going to take some time and they just didn't want to invest that time into him. And, um, you know, at the end of it, they, they, they lose out on some draft slots. I mean, they did recoup a, a pick, um, but it, it's just not, you know, it, the experiment didn't end the way that they wanted to, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And it's funny because before the draft, somebody told me that this guy is like the offensive version of Isaiah Simmons. And what he meant by that, he's obviously not as talented, but... This is somebody who could play quarterback, running back, or receiver. But clearly something went wrong. I know in the offseason he was arrested in Ohio, but it really had nothing to do with him. And then Mike Mayak the other day mentioned that the trade is football-related only. But Bowden was the 80th overall selection in the draft. The Raiders move on. The Dolphins get him before he even plays in a game. Now, speaking of the Dolphins, they cut Josh Rosen over the weekend. And he's had just a brutal start to his career. It's just bad luck. Now he's with Tampa Bay on their practice squad. Do you think Rosen has a future in the NFL? Yeah, I think he has a future, but the question is whether that future, is he going to be a backup? I, th- I think that's where his 
you know, what it looks like he's headed towards right now, unless I, I just don't know if he's going to get another chance to start. And I don't think it's completely his fault. You know, he's, he was put in some really bad situation. I mean, you know, when he's with the Cardinals, that's like one of the, the worst offenses of all times when you look at the numbers. Uh, so he just really didn't have a chance um, there. And then, you know, obviously he gets traded to the Dolphins. And I think, you know, Cliff Kingsbury just fell in love with uh, Kyler Murray and Kyler Murray just fits exactly what he wants. Uh, so he, he, he took Murray and traded away Rosen. And I think it's a little more disturbing that he got such a short leash in Miami. And, you know, who knows what happened, happened behind the doors there uh, or behind the scenes over there. But he just they didn't give him much of a chance. And, you know, it, is it because he just didn't show a lot in practice or he wasn't putting the time in? Who, who knows what happened in Miami? But that, that was disturbing that he, they didn't want to develop him any further. And I think landing with Bruce Arians, um, sitting behind Tom Brady on that practice squad is probably the best place for him to try to revitalize his career. Um, so I, I don't think he's anybody's going to go out and hand him, hand up a starting job anytime soon or give him a chance anytime soon. Um, but if he gets another chance, hopefully he learns what he needs to uh, under Bruce Arians and Tom Brady, and um, he can take advantage if he ever gets one. Right. You know, we always talk about fit when a quarterback is drafted. I mean, he's had just some terrible luck. Even before he got to the NFL at UCLA, he had a rotating door of mm -hmm. offensive coordinators at Arizona, first-year defensive-minded coach, offensive coordinators fired there as well. Um, Arizona and Miami, both teams considered probably the worst in the league for those years. And, you know, it's, it's, it's just a tough situation for him. And as I said, he just didn't have the right fit entering the NFL. And the quote that's always going to haunt him is, you know, the, there were nine mistakes ahead of me. I mean, it's always going to follow him, but I do like the fit in Tampa Bay, you know, being there with Bruce, Tom Brady's there try to stick around. They don't really have a great backup situation there either. So maybe you could, you know, find something there, learn under Tom and Bruce and something maybe happened there. I know um, Byron Left was, was actually his offensive coordinator mm -hmm. in Arizona. Now they're back together in Tampa Bay. So at least some familiarity there um, as he heads to Tampa Bay. All right. One more thing here that happened over the weekend I want to talk about. It is another quarterback, and that is the Bears going with Mitchell Trubisky as their quarterback. They paid a lot to get Foles, a fourth-round pick. They took on the contract, restructured it. They declined Trubisky's option. What do you think of them going and giving Trubisky another shot? First, I want to say, I, you know, I was, it's not like um, I'm a huge – I was a huge Mitchell Trubisky guy uh, mm -hmm. when he was coming out of the draft. I didn't have him highly ranked or anything. In fact, last year, Bear Sam got, got really mad at me because I said Chase Daniels is a better quarterback than Mitchell Trubisky. I saw that. Uh, but this year, you know, I, I'm giving him a bit of a, a chance because, I mean, he's still a young quarterback. Uh, I believe well, he's going to his third year, right? This is his fourth. Oh, he's going into his fourth year. So he's relatively young still. And I know what he has shown basically. I mean, he do, hasn't shown signs that he could be a Pro Bowl quarterback. But, you know, I don't think the Bears need a Pro Bowl quarterback. They need an average quarterback because they have a really strong defense. They need average quarterback play. And I think he's young enough to where he might be able to make that leap and to play average. And, you know, maybe he improved his technique, improved his footwork, his accuracy. And maybe he could get back to that level where he played um, it, with his first year with Nagy. And I'm giving him a shot to kind of get there. I'm not – 
giving him huge expectations, but it seems like everybody is just kind of uh, shooting down Trubisky already, you know, saying that this is a mistake to start him. But in reality, we haven't seen him in preseason. We haven't seen him in training camp. So all I'm saying is we don't know what's going to happen with Trubisky. He's still a young player. There's a chance he improves. I'm not saying he he did, but it, it's just uh, interesting that so many people are already writing him off. Yeah, I mean, Twitter basically just is completely against him. If you just look online, it's mm-hmm. crazy. But, like, you know, the way I thought of it, especially without a preseason and OTAs, is that this is Ryan Pace's draft pick. I know they traded for Foles. I know they got coaches there who have familiarity with him. But let's give him one more shot to try mm-hmm. to prove us right. And if not, we have Foles here to come in. And that's what they're going to do. And Trubisky will get the start week one coming up on Sunday against the Detroit Lions. So let's now look ahead to week one. And there are so many storylines, you know, from Burroughs debut, Cam with the Patriots, Brady with the Bucks. Rivers of the Colts, Big Ben returns, and on and on. There's so much going on. But I trimmed it down to the five games that I'm most intrigued by. And I want to start with the first game, the Thursday night game, Texans versus Chiefs. And the last time we saw these two teams, you know, the Texans were up 24-0. Then the Chiefs scored, I don't know how many touchdowns, and they came back. Both quarterbacks got paid this offseason, but the Texans made a bunch of other moves. And most notably was moving on from DeAndre Hopkins. What are you expecting from this offense now that he's not there, arguably the best wide receiver in football? Well, there's just a huge void to fill. I mean, who's going who's gonna to be, you know, Will Fuller has a lot of potential. We, we all know Will Fuller, uh, Deshaun Watson splits with Will Fuller and without Will Fuller. He's a lot better when Will Fuller was in the lineup, but that's because Will Fuller was a deep threat and they needed that deep threat. But now without DeAndre Hopkins, who's going to be that go-to receiver Uh, in the intermediate part of the field where, you know, when you need a first down, when you're in the red zone and you you need somebody to score a touchdown or you're, you know, in those big clutch moments, DeAndre Hopkins was the guy who always came through. Who's going to be that uh, receiver now? Can Will Fuller be that guy? We're not, we're not sure. And we're not even sure if he can stay healthy because, you know, he's been so um, injury prone uh, throughout his career. So it's just a huge void to fill for the Texans. Uh, I think that Sean Watson's good enough to make plays and um, elevate that offense, but it's just going to be in those big moments who's going to come through for him. So, yeah, I mean, that's just a a huge void and huge uh, game for the Cardinals. Yeah, you know, I think last year these two teams played. Will Fuller, I think, dropped three touchdowns, so he's had also a problem there. But Mm -hmm. we know, like, whenever he does play, like, there is always that big play potential with him. Obviously, health has been a big concern. But now going to this year, it's Randall Cobb, it is Brandon Cooks, and it's Will Fuller as his top three receivers. They have David Johnson, Duke Johnson in the backfield. But shifting over to the Chiefs, you know, it feels like the rich just got richer this offseason. Like, are there any holes on this team? Because I really don't know what it is. I think if you were to nitpick, I think cornerback would probably be the position where, you know, you could have some concern. I, I think right now their uh, starters are uh, Legereus Sneed, who is a rookie, and Rashard Fenton, who I believe is a second-year player. Um, and, you know, they, they want to play a lot of man coverage. They want to be aggressive. Uh, but those two guys just aren't very proven as of right now. So I, I think – you know, you, if if you can protect, and I think the Chiefs are good at getting pressure, which will mask some of their cornerback problems, it, but if you're able to protect and buy some time, I think the, those corners are where you want to test the Chiefs. 
Yeah, Bashad Breeland is suspended for the first four games of this season. You know, he had an interception in the Super Bowl, so they were without him. But overall, you know, what the Chiefs did this offseason, I know we've heard it so many times already, but it's still, it's just unreal. You know, extending Mahomes, Kelsey, Chris Jones, Brett Veach, and Andy Reid, while keeping Sammy Watkins, who many thought would be gone, drafting Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, while 20 out of 22 starters and 20 out of 21 coaches are all back. It's unbelievable. I mean, it really is. For a team that, you know, people thought some of these pieces won't be back, they're bringing back the entire band, and potentially they're going to have this entire band together for many more years to come. How do you think this game unfolds in the end? Uh, I, I, I think it's going to end a lot like um, the, the playoff game ended. I think the Chiefs are going to beat the Texans pretty uh, free-handedly. Interesting. You know, it's just fun that we have football back, of course, and whatever happens, it's going to be awesome. But I remember last year, Packers-Bears opened up the season, and we were just looking forward to football, right? And then we get a 10-3 final score, and it was like, yeah, football's back, but we were expecting some more action and stuff going on. So I think it's safe to say with Watson and Mahomes going head-to-head, there's going to be um, a lot of action in this game and a lot of offense. So we're looking forward to that. Let's move on to the second game here. We're sticking with two AFC teams. And it's the Browns and the Ravens, a 1 o'clock game on Sunday. So I actually like the Browns this year. I think they are a dark horse playoff team. Do you think Stefanski's offense, based off what you see on film, will work with Baker? Because the talent is there on that offense. Yeah, I I think um, Stefanski's offense really fits Baker Mayfield's skill sets. I think getting him on bootlegs and limiting his uh, options are going to be good things for him. I, I think, you know, Stefanski is going to preach um, doing all those little things correctly, like drop depth. That was a big problem for him last year, just dropping too deep, and he was compromising his protection because of it. And I think we're going to find out a lot about how their marriage is going to work in week one because the Ravens do a ton of blitzing. They do a ton of pressuring. They, they play man. And if Mayfield is that same quarterback that he was last year that was undisciplined, uh, that didn't know how to find his hot receivers, that dropped back too deep, that, uh, you know, try to make plays where there weren't, they're going to get killed by the Ravens. But if he's more disciplined and he's doing the things that he's supposed to, um, then I think they're going to stand a fine chance against the Ravens. So we'll find out week one early if this marriage is going to work out or not. Yeah, and if you really look at it, last year Baltimore had two losses. One of it came to Cleveland in week three. And looking at this Browns team, you know, the offensive line was a hot mess last year. They fixed the offensive tackles by adding Conklin, adding Wills. And the one thing that I've been telling people on this podcast with the Browns is that, and let me know if you've realized this, Baker Mayfield has been so quiet this offseason. Like, I haven't heard a word from him. And all you hear from his coaches on these Zoom calls with reporters is that Baker is laser focused and they're ready to unleash him. And I know that, you know, for quarterbacks, usually it's in year two where they have that breakout year. He didn't have it last year. I feel like he's going to have it this year in year three 
with this Stefanski offense. You know, we haven't heard much about Odell. We haven't heard much about Landry. We don't hear much about Hunt and Chubb and Njoku and Hooper. All those guys are there. I feel like they're all working. And come week one, this offense is going to be exciting. And this is going to be a team that will actually do stuff unlike last year. What do you think? I agree. I mean, I, I'm a, I was a huge Baker Mayfield guy. I was, you know, telling all my friends to go draft him uh, last year because I thought he was going to break out his second year. Turned out to be really bad advice. Uh, but I think um, I, I do believe in Mayfield. I think you're right. I think he's been more quiet, and hopefully those are signs that he's maturing and that he just has been working on his game. Uh, so yeah, I, I think there, I think there are people that are optimistic about the Browns, but they just don't want to say it because of what happened right. last year. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm optimistic about the Browns too. I'm cautiously optimistic about the Browns. Right. Last year, there was just way too much hype. It was too much. Mm-hmm. It didn't work out. The coaching wasn't great. The team was not disciplined. This year, things are different. Also, the thing you have to also mention is the schedule is actually easier as well compared mm-hmm. to what they had last year. I mean, it was a brutal start last year for their schedule. Warren Sharp was on here a few months ago, and he was talking about how the Browns schedule to start. I don't have the numbers exactly in front of me, but he was mentioning that the defenses they faced to start the year is much easier compared to what they had last year. Let's talk about the Ravens now, the team they're facing this week. Do you have any worries with this team? Because I loved everything they did this offseason. Their draft was great. But the division will be better. It was kind of a joke last year. And the thing that I keep on reading online, and I don't agree with it, but it's that defensive coordinators had this offseason to figure out Lamar. I don't even know what that means. Are you concerned with anything? No. I, I, so the thing with the zone read is there's no, there's no magic answer for the zone read. I think people believe that defensive coordinators are going to figure out some sort of magic answer for the zone read. But the zone read is a good play that is repeatable and we've seen it i mean if if the if there was some magic answer for the zone read it would you know in in college it wouldn't be running wild the way it does because you know they've been doing it for years and uh it's just like if you try to defend a zone read this way the ravens could do this they could add rb rpo here or they could add a bluff blocker here there's ways to there's just like you know it's a cat and mouse game Mm-hmm. Uh, so what I think that defensive coordinators weren't used to the zone read and defenses weren't used to the zone read so they can defend it better and be a little more disciplined against the zone read than they were before because there are some teams that were just absolutely atrocious against the zone read um, but I think they could slow down the zone read at, they'll see it more and practice it against it a little bit more but there's no magic answer against it and I think that the Ravens do realize that. And I think that Lamar Jackson has shown the ability to take the next step as a passer. And I expect him to do that this season. Uh, so if you're loading up against his own read and you're trying to put eight in a box and, you know, you're bringing your safeties down and rotating your safeties down, I think Lamar's going to be good enough to punish you over the top. And I think he took big strides in his passing in his second year. I think he's going to continue to get better in his third year. Yeah, and I would agree with that. Out of curiosity, by the way, what did you think of Lamar when he got into the NFL? Because obviously, so many people were wrong about him, and he obviously proved everyone to be wrong after winning MVP last year. What did you think of him when he got into the league? I I was a Lamar fan um, coming into the draft. Um, I had a late first round grade on him, and you know I think he's 
you know, he, he's even uh, exceeded my expectations right. of how good he's going to be, especially early, early on. And I, you know, credit goes to the Ravens for, you know, just completely buying into a skill set and, and uh, customizing their offense to fit his skills. So yeah, he, he succeeded my expectations, you know, being an MVP type of player um, already by his second year. Yeah, we talked about fit before of Josh Rosen. Lamar Jackson ending up in Baltimore with Greg Roman and that offensive staff was the perfect fit for him. He wins MVP in year two. Now he's entering year three. And um, I think it's safe to say that we're all high on the Ravens as we enter this season. Even though this AFC North division will be much more competitive, I really do truly believe that Cleveland is a dark horse playoff team in the AFC. All right, let's move on to the third game I want to talk about. It is a late game of 425 Eastern start time. Cardinals and 49ers. And I guess I'll start with San Francisco. Diana Rossini was on this podcast last week, and she mentioned that she has a slight concern with the 49ers having a Super Bowl hangover. You know, is that a concern for you, number one? And then the second question that I have over here, I guess I'll make it a two-part question. What have you seen from Jimmy Garoppolo? Because I feel like he gets over-criticized by the media and fans. Watching film of his play, what do you think of him as a quarterback? Uh, so I, th- I don't think I'm too afraid of the Niners having a Super Bowl hangover just because I'm, I'm a big believer in um, Kyle Shanahan, the way he does things, not just schematically, but just the culture he, he's built in San Francisco. And then when you look at the way they've replaced, you know, the, the, um, the players that have departed their team, uh, it's almost like they, they, you know, they upgraded the left tackle position because I love Joe Staley and Joe Staley has been great. But when Trent Williams is healthy, he could potentially be the best left tackle in all of football. Mm-hmm. So they, they might have upgraded their offensive line in that way. Um, and then, you know, they, they go out, they draft Brandon Ayuk, who I, I really liked um, out of Arizona State. Uh, they replaced DeForest Buckner with uh, Kinlaw. And, you know, obviously it's, it's not ideal having to replace a guy like DeForest Buckner, but right. Kinlaw is a, is a guy that, you know, is just very raw, but he's a physical freak. So I think putting him in just a pass rush uh, specialist type of role is going to be good. Uh, but yeah, I, I think the Niners are going to pick up. They're going to pick up where they left off. I think they're going to be a, um, a Super Bowl contending team again. Um, and as far as Jimmy Garoppolo, I, I think he does get criticized a little too much. I mean, he had some. You know, when the when the Niners needed him uh, last year, like against the Saints, he stepped up and had a big game. Mm-hmm. I think in the playoffs, he gets uh, he gets unfairly criticized in the, in the playoffs because the Niners just they didn't have to pass the ball. So they uh, for most of their playoff run, they were just dominating the ground and they didn't need uh, Garoppolo to really do much. Um, but in the Super Bowl, he did. You know, in the fourth quarter, he was just bad. And there's no defending what he did in in the Super Bowl. He just kind of choked in the fourth quarter and missed a bunch of passes and opportunities that could have won him the game. Um, But, I mean, it's it's a team game, too. And Garoppolo is still a quarterback that's getting better. That was his first full year as a starter. So I I think he's going to improve. I I do think he gets a little overly criticized. Uh, but I think he's going to get better, and he has to get better for this team uh, to next take the next step. Yeah, I would agree with that. I said that after the Super Bowl. Like, 
the running game was working. Like, what do you want him to do? Like, it's working. Mm-hmm. Keep on running it, right? I know the fourth quarter, it wasn't great. But as you mentioned, you know, last year against the Saints, last year against the Rams, he showed up and made the big plays. But the one thing that I will mention here is that if he doesn't have a good year, and I know I'm jumping ahead by a lot here, but if he doesn't have a good year, the 49ers could get out of that contract next offseason if they want to. So that is something to watch during this season with Jimmy Garoppolo there as the quarterback. And the other thing you talked about, you know, Trent Williams getting there, it had to be probably the biggest move this offseason that probably went unnoticed. Maybe because it happened on the third day of the draft, but that is just gigantic for that team. I know Joe Staley is a cornerstone and everything, but like Trent Williams, as you said, he is probably the best left tackle in football. I know we haven't seen him in a year plus, but adding him to that offensive line is going to be huge. And the things we've heard from 49ers training camp up until now is that his matchups against Nick Bosa have been amazing to watch. And, you know, mm-hmm. again, it, it's, going to be, it's going to be great to see him back on the field in that offensive line. And once again, with Kyle Shannon, of course, they were together in Washington. The other team, of course, in this game we talked about is the Arizona Cardinals. And for those who listen to this podcast, you know that the Cardinals are my pop team this year because I really believe they will be in the mix for the playoffs. Let me just ask you, first off, where do you have the Cardinals going into this year? Do you think they have playoff potential? I do. I I don't know if they're going to make the playoffs quite just yet, but I do believe that they're going to challenge for the playoffs. I mean, you you saw how much they improved last year in in Cliff's first year and uh, with Kyler Murray as a rookie. Uh, This year, Kyler is going to be going into his second year, and as we mentioned, that's that's the time when you know a lot of these young quarterbacks are starting to break out now, mm-hmm. and, and adding the and he didn't have a number one last year, and now he has one of the best number ones in the game with uh, DeAndre Hopkins, mm-hmm. um, and I think that defense is a lot better than people think. I think they have yes. playmakers on every level of that defense. Buda Baker is extremely underrated. Uh, obviously, Patrick Peterson's one of the best corners in the NFL, even though he's getting a little older. They have Chandler Jones rushing the passer. So, you know, I don't think their defense is going to be a top 10 unit or anything, but I think they're better than people than people think. And that offense, I think, is, they're going to be humming next season. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, I, I could see them making that playoff push. I, I do believe Kyler will have a big year in year two. And, you know, I want to talk about Cliff Kingsbury for a second because – what did you think of him in year one? Because I was really super impressed because we came in expecting this, you know, raid offense and he wasn't like that. Like he ran the ball, he used tight ends. what do you think of him in year one? Yeah, I mean, people thought he was going to, you know, go four wide receivers every single play, shotgun, empty, every play. But no, he mixed it up. He used 12 personnel, he used 13 personnel sometimes. Uh, and they were one of the most efficient running teams in the league last season. Um, so I, I loved what he did. I mean, he, you know, he introduced a lot of, uh, I mean, there was already a lot of college concepts kind of, you know, trickling up into the NFL, but he just kind of went all in with that. And then, you know, he was, he was running bash plays where, um, you know, it was a little more intricate option type plays that you don't see in the NFL too often. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it was just cool seeing that kind of stuff and creativity work in the NFL. So, I, you know, I was really happy to see that he kind of had a proof concept, like this stuff works. He took the Cardinals from one of the worst all-time offenses into a middling offense with right. a rookie quarterback. Um, and now they're going to be, you know, they, uh, they upgraded their talents. So really excited to see what happens year two for Cliff Kingsbury. 
Right. It's, it's, it's interesting because earlier this offseason, Cliff did an interview, and this kind of went under the radar. Nobody really noticed it, but I picked up on it. He said last year the biggest mistake he made as a rookie head coach was that he didn't use his offense. He didn't unleash his offense in the preseason. And because of that, you know, they started off slow, right? Mm-hmm. The game against Detroit, they were slow. They ended up tying the game. But they started off the year slow, and as the year went on, they started clicking and clicking and clicking. We saw Kyler, you know, improve and improve. That's why I feel like this year going into year two, year two of this offense, that they are really going to just go crazy with this offense. And especially after adding Hopkins, you know, the offensive line is intact. I know it's not great, but for running quarterback, you can make it work. Um, the defense, as you said, you know, Chandler Jones is a sack master and nobody talks about him. He gets no national recognition. Um, Buddha, Patrick Peterson, they added guys like Isaiah Simmons. They added guys um, like a Devon Kennard and a Jordan Phillips. So they added pieces onto this team. And I really do think this is a team that will make some noise in the NFC. I know it's a really, really tough division, of course, but it's a team that I think really has a chance to um, make some serious noise in the NFC West this year. And, you know, I'm going to go on a limb of here. I would not be shocked if they win this week against the 49ers. I know that's it's, it might be a bit of a hot take, <laughs> but I, I really like this team. I really do. And if, if they could start off and pull off an upset, I feel like some big things are happening in Arizona because they, I've been on close to- so they yeah. played close twice last year. Yeah, yeah, they did. And I mean, I've been on them the entire offseason. If there was an executive of the year for just an offseason, I think Steve Kime hit it out of the park. But, like, you know, I'm really excited to see how this works. I mean, like, I know that's it's saying a lot for them to beat San Francisco, but um, I really like what they did this offseason. It's probably the one team that I'm most excited to see along with Tampa Bay. So we'll see how that one goes. Speaking of Tampa Bay, let's talk about their game. This is probably the game of the week on Sunday, Bucks versus Saints. So let me just start with this. I said Diana Rossini was on here last week. She said she made a bold prediction that Tampa Bay will not even make the playoffs this year. I disagree with that. How do you see? Yeah, I don't know. I didn't. I, we had a, like a 15 minute back and forth on this. I completely disagree on it. How do you see this new look Bucks team performing in 2020 with Tom Brady and Bruce Arians? Well, I'm not going to go as far as uh, Diana did, but I, I will say I think that their offense will start out relative, relatively slower than people think they are. I, I don't. I don't think they're going to go right off the bat and just start scoring 40 points a game. You know, I, I think they'll probably put up some points, but I think it'll be a little more of a struggle than people anticipated. I, I, I just think that, you know, for Tom Brady, who's done the exact same thing, run the exact same offense for 20 years, to so all of a sudden switch to a new offense, new system, new players, I think it'll take a little bit of time to adjust. But I think they have the talent to still put up some points. I just don't think it's going to be a smooth operation, especially against a, a defense that has, you know, quality players like the Saints do. Uh, Saints do. Um, so I, I could see them kind of starting off a little slow and then catching their footing, you know, maybe four or five games into the season. But I do think they're going to make the playoffs. I just think they have way too much talent on offense and I'm Brady's too much of a vet for them not to eventually catch their, uh, their footing. But, yeah, I, I, I do see the Bucks as a playoff team. Right. I mean, her argument was that, you know, Tom Brady has needs everything to be perfect. And in an offseason like this, where he didn't get to be with his teammates as much and they need continuity and all of that, she thinks they're going to struggle to start. My argument was like, fine, even if that's true, their defense is still pretty good. Like it was pretty underrated at the end of last year and all the pieces are back. Todd Bowles in year two. So I feel like, you know, that defense with 
you know, Shaq Barrett, Sue, Jason Pierre-Paul, Vita Vea, Devin White, Levante David. I know the secondary isn't the best. It's young, has potential, but like, I feel like, fine, the offense starts off in September. Maybe they're slow. Let's just say it is, which I don't think it'll be slow. I think they'll be, you know, it won't be fantastic, but I think they'll be fine with all those weapons. But the defense wasn't bad last year, right? No, yeah, I think they were a little underrated last year. I just, you know, it, it the secondary scares me a little bit. I mean, they have a pretty strong front. Uh, but, you know, as we know, it's a, it's a passing league now. Uh, so it, the secondary is a bit of a question mark. But I, I just think they have enough firepower on offense to eventually eventually get over it. But I, I think, yeah, I just think the offense is going to be a little um, – it's just not going to be as smooth as people think in the beginning. Right. That, that's the way most people are saying it with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We know Tom Brady was working out with his guys – even before the Players Association was fine with it. So um, we'll see how it goes there. I mean, that this team, along with Arizona, as I said, are two teams I'm really looking forward to seeing. Let's talk about their opponent, the New Orleans Saints. Let me ask you, you know, a lot of people are talking about the 49ers and there's the Saints. Are the Saints the team to be in the NFC? Their, their roster is just stacked. Yeah, I think adding Emmanuel Sanders is one of the uh, – that's a big move that people don't talk about a lot. But I think the Saints have been looking for – a number two receiver to compliment uh, Michael Thomas for a long time. I think Emmanuel Sanders is, is still a very, very effective receiver. I watched him in San Francisco uh, close up and that guy could still get open against man coverage and, um, you know, putting him with Drew Brees. I think he's going to put up some num- numbers and he's, they're going to, he's going to make that offense that much better. Um, but yeah, I, you know, the thing with the saints is they, they, they've been dominating in the regular season and as soon as the playoff hits, they, they just look like a different team. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the big question mark here is, uh, what are you going to get from Drew Brees? Um, are we going to see more signs of aging from Drew Brees? Uh, or, or is he going to just, you know, truck along with, the, uh, with Emmanuel Sanders? Uh, I, I think they're still going to be a good team, um, but they just have to prove that they can do in the playoffs. Right. You know, looking at these last two years, it felt like Drew Brees was just amazing the first 12, 13 games. And then near the end of the year, his arm just mm-hmm. doesn't look the same. And that's yep. kind of a, I feel like that's a concern for them. And Nick Underhill, who covers the Saints, does a great job, is also on the podcast this week. And he discussed that. So it's, it's something that I'll be watching. I'm interested to see if they do something about it. Maybe they won't throw as many passes to start the year or as the year goes on. That is, I mean, like, listen, if you look at this roster, I mean, top to bottom, I really don't think there's a hole. Like, I think you can make an argument that this mm-hmm. is the most stacked roster in the NFL. Even better than Kansas City, you can make that argument, I would think. Hey, defensively, they, you know, every, every, it's like they have quality starters filling out the entire roster. So I agree with you. Yeah, for sure. So it really, it really does depend on how, I really do believe, assuming everyone is healthy, if Drew Brees could just, you know, stick in there till the end of the year. Because we know Adam Schefter reported that he actually seriously considered retirement. And we know he signed that deal of NBC. And the thing that I always hear from former players is that, once you're considering retirement, it's already in your head. So I do kind of have that worry in my mind. But other than that, I really don't think there's a team as stacked as the New Orleans Saints as we start this regular season. The last game I want to talk about here is the final game of week one. It is the Broncos and the Titans. We talked about the Titans a little bit before. Let's start with the Broncos first because, you know, we talked about the Cardinals before as they are my pop team this year in the NFC. I'm not as high as the Broncos like them, but I think the Broncos could be that team in the AFC. 
are you on the Drew Locke, you know, bandwagon and on this entire young offense? Because there's a lot of good pieces here. Yeah, I, I reviewed tape and watched Drew Locke, and I think that he has the big arm, and he actually played a lot better than I thought he was going to, especially in his rookie year. Uh, but there's still some some huge accuracy concerns with Drew Locke, and I, I'm not buying that he's going to take a big year two jump. Um, I think he's going to, he'll he'll improve, um, but there's just parts of his game that game that is just concerns me, and I I don't know if he's going to make that big year two jump that we think Kyler Murray's going to make. Um, but I love the offense around him. You know, Jerry Judy obviously extremely good route runner. Uh, Corlin Sutton is the true number one receiver. Uh, Noah Faint, extremely good tight end. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have all the pieces around him. Uh, but I, I don't know if Locke is going to be good enough to put this team over the top. And he's going to be learning a new offense this offseason too. Right, with Pat Shermer. I mean, I feel like similar, I would say, to Cleveland with Baker Mayfield. You know, it really depends on the quarterback play if they're going to have like a, a five-win season or like a 10-win season. You know, like it really, really depends on how the quarterback does there. But similar to both teams, they both have just amazing weapons around them. You mentioned Sutton, Judy, Hamler, Fant, Lindsey, and Gordon. The tackles are a bit concerning. But then defensively, year two of Fangio, and then you bring back Chubb. Um, Callahan is back. You add Jarrell Casey. You add A.J. Bouye. It's a very intriguing team. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. for sure. But, you know, the Chiefs are for sure still on top there in the AFC West. But I could see Denver just making some sort of noise, not with Kansas City, but at least trying to make a wild card berth if Drew Locke holds up. He was 4-1 and last year. The one loss was in a blizzard against Kansas City. On the flip side, we talked about the Titans before, as I said. My biggest question is about the quarterback. Do you think Ryan Tannehill's play from last year is sustainable? No, I, I don't think so. I mean, and I'm not saying that he's going to be bad, but he was just playing at such a high level last year that I don't think that level of play is sustainable just because um, it was – I'm just saying it's too high. I think he could be good. I just don't know if he could uh, play at that level that he, that he was last year when he was putting up those ridiculous averages and um, touchdown numbers. So I, I think um, I think he, he will be better than what we've seen in the past, but I don't know if he's going to reach that level when the, the Titans were just on a, on a, on a streak. And we, we saw that in the playoffs where he just didn't um, – just didn't – he wasn't winning games for them. He was kind of just kind of a, a game manager. Uh, but I, I think that, yeah, I think that he's going to be, I can see him throwing for 25 touchdowns, some, something around that range. Right. You know, we had, I mentioned Teron Davenport here. I think it's just, it's really hard to sustain that success. I don't know what it was. It was in, 70 something percent completion percentage last year i mean he was in a contract year it was a magical run he got the big contract i mean now it's all him but the rest of the offense you know derrick henry aj brown both of them are going to be superstars Corey davis Janu smith they're both in contract years and arthur smith their offensive coordinator he is really a rising star there. He's yep. someone who a lot of people talk really highly about. I think that's a name people are going to get used to as this year as this year goes by. Also in this game, by the way, Jarrell Casey, his former he gets to face his former team star revenge game. All right, that is our 
five um, most intriguing games for me, at least here as we lead up to week one. All right, Ted, I really want to thank you for coming here on the podcast. Everyone could, of course, go follow you on Twitter. It is at FB underscore film analysis. Follow Ted and you'll become a smarter football fan. I'll tell you that much. Ted, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me on. All right, so that was Ted Wynn of The Athletic. Special thanks to him for coming on. Great stuff from him. Great insight. Again, go follow him on Twitter. It is at FB underscore film analysis. And just talking to Ted about some of these games got me really excited because we only talked about five games. Think about that. We still have Burroughs debut, Cam with the Patriots, the Giants and the Steelers on Monday night, the Seahawks and the Falcons on Sunday, Cowboys and Rams Sunday night. Week 1 is stacked with a bunch of great games. This season has a bunch of great storylines. And we just talked about maybe, I don't know, 10% of it. So there's a lot of great stuff to look forward to as the season officially gets underway here on Thursday night. All right, let's move on now to our second guest on this week's episode. Nick Underhill, who covers the Saints, comes on. And as I told Nick when we started our discussion here, the Saints have been in the news a lot over the last couple of weeks. There's probably no other team in the NFL that has been in the news as much as the Saints. And we talked about all of it. Camara, Clowney, the outlook for this season, Saints Bucks in week one. And also we looked into the future a little bit because the Saints cap situation and what's going to happen there with the quarterback situation once Breeze hangs it up. So here it is, my full discussion with Nick Underhill. Joining me now here on the My Sports Update Football Podcast, he does a tremendous job covering the Saints. His site is neworleans.football, and he co-hosts the Saints Talk Podcast. It is Nick Underhill. Nick, how's it going? Thanks for taking the time. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. No problem. I appreciate you taking the time here today. So week one is finally upon us. It's been a long six or seven months, but it's finally here. And you've been pretty busy as of late. I really don't think there's a team in the NFL that has been in the news over the last couple of weeks as much as the Saints. Let's start with the Davian Clowney stuff because this is fascinating to me. Throughout the offseason, the teams linked to Clowney the most were Tennessee, Seattle, and Cleveland. We saw some Vegas, some Jets, a little bit of Saints. But then last week, reports came out that the Saints are all in on trying to sign him. And we know now that they even tried to do a sign-in trade to make it work. What do you think triggered them to go all out to try to get Clowney like the way they were? Because they were super aggressive. Yeah, that was the most interesting part of it to me was the level of aggression because the Saints go after players and are afraid to spend money and they, they you know try to get the guys they want. But I've never seen an all-out push the way there was for this one. And this was maybe the first time where it even felt, like you said, aggressive is the word. They're usually a team that sets their price and, you know, either a guy takes their offer or they don't. And that's kind of been the impasse with Alvin Kamara right now is that they set their number and they're moving off it yet. They might eventually at some point, but it's usually a pretty disciplined approach. The cloudy stuff was atypical. Uh, the sign and trade, like you said, you know, trying to circumvent the uh, signing bonus by, by sending a pick to another team, you know, where they would pick up the signing bonus and then the 10 million would come here. You know, it, it's interesting. And it makes me wonder how they feel about some of the other guys on the defensive line. And really you look at this team with Super Bowl aspirations and Sheldon Rankins is a guy with, with an injury history. He's had an Achilles surgery on each leg each of the last two years. And then Marcus Davenport 
has had a series of injuries too in each of the last two seasons. You know, he hasn't been able to finish. And I think you could maybe look at his lack of availability in, you know, I'm not going to put it on him, but not having him in the playoffs is, is a big deal. So, and then, you know, Davenport just, just had a either, you know, an elbow or shoulder injury that, that kept him out of practice during training camp. So, you know, I'm just wondering if they just got to a point where, you know, opportunity met, you know, they see Davenport and they're worried about how things are going to go throughout the season. And, you know, they just felt like they were going to go out and get this really expensive insurance policy and also upgrade their team. But, you know, I, I just think it was a little bit telling of where their mindset is with, with some of the guys they have and, and where they feel like their vulnerabilities exist. You know, it's kind of interesting because Sean Payton confirmed today that they really did try to do this sign and trade, this unique sign and trade, something we've never seen in the NFL before. And we're now learning that the Ravens also tried to do the same thing, but they would have done it with the Jaguars where Clowney would have signed with the Jaguars, they would have paid his bonus, and then the Jaguars would then trade Clowney to the Ravens for a draft pick. Then the league said no. What I'm trying to understand here is why did the league say no? Is this a rule? I've never heard of this before. <laughs> this is the first time this has ever come up. So it, it, it's all new to me. I mean, I guess they probably just don't want to create a, a system where people are essentially selling draft picks, which is kind of what you would be doing, even though we, we've seen it done before with Brock Osweiler. I believe mm-hmm. on that deal, there was essentially a sold draft pick. But I don't, I don't really understand why you couldn't set this precedent. I mean, it, it, cap space is a commodity. Um, draft picks are a commodity if you want to swap them. You know, I, I don't see what the big deal is. People can dump bad contracts all the time. I, I, I don't get it. I mean, you know, Sean said today that they were receptive to it at first and then, you know, it kind of changed on them and the league shut it down. So, you know, I don't know. That, that is something that, that it will be good to get a little bit more clarity on. But, like, we're in the first, I don't know, 12 hours of the story, 24 hours of the story. So that hasn't quite come to light. But, you know, Saints fans will be glad to hear that there were other teams trying to do it because – felt targeted at first that this was something, you know, playing on the history of, of the back and forth between the Saints and the NFL. I, I don't think that's the case. I just think that they probably just don't want this precedent and these wild trades happening, but I, I, I don't really see why not. Yeah, I mean, like, trades like this have been done in other sports. We see it all the time in basketball. You mentioned Brock Osweiler. That was basically a $16 million trade where the Browns got a second-round pick for $16 million in that contract. So it's kind of been done. And, of course, this is not the same thing. He's a free agent. But I don't think there's any sort of rule that says you can do it. That's why I was kind of surprised. And now, as I said before, we're learning that there were two teams trying to do that, the Saints and the Ravens before the league shut it down. The other big thing that's going on in New Orleans is Alvin Kamara because, you know, last week it was just so out of control. There were so many reports. What exactly happened here, and where do you think this ends up going as we near kickoff now? I think that things have calmed down a little bit. And, you know, I I don't ever – I don't think it was necessarily so much about, like, them being super far apart on the money aspect of it. You know, I, I think for quite a while now it's kind of been, like, 12.5 12.5 versus 15. I think Alvin's like in the $14 million range now. So the Saints come up a little, Alvin comes down a little more. And, you know, I, I think that they meet in the middle somewhere and, you know, this, this should get done. It's not, it's not this like huge gulf of money. I know 2 million sounds like a lot, but there's a very natural meeting point when, when you're at that number. So I think what happened last week is Alvin was coming in, he was getting his COVID-19 test and then he was leaving. And, you know, he, he had the back injury. He, he got the, you know, the shot to get it settled down. He was resting and recovering. 
he was doing that away from the team. And I, you know, I, from what I've gathered is, is that there was just kind of a general lack of communication. And I think that's kind of what set everything off more so than, you know, contentious negotiations. I just think that there was a level of frustration and, you know, once there was finally some communication, you, you saw everybody come together. He's back out of practice. He said today that he was never holding out. You know, I, I don't know. It kind of seems like a game of semantics here. You know, you get treatment away from the facility while you have a contract thing going on. You know, it's kind of hard to, to actually believe that that was the case. But, you know, I, I do think that, that at some point this is, this is going to get done. I think it's important to get done. I just don't think 15 million, you know, it's just not a number that, that, that's going to work. That's a little bit too high. You know, I think his talent is worth 15 million a season, but the production, the injuries, you know, he hasn't had those 2000 yard seasons like Christian McCaffrey or Ezekiel Elliott. He has the talent to do it, but you know, if he wants to get paid that much, his best bet might be to, to play a season out, try to stay healthy, hit those numbers and then go get paid. But you know, you want to get the contract now, you're going to have to give a little bit up and, and you're going to get paid for what you've done and two 1500 yard seasons that that's nothing, you know, that isn't bad, but it's just not $15 million. Right. Kamara had over 1,300 total yards last year in 14 games. He recently told you guys that he was dealing with a knee injury all of last season, starting from week six. And, you know, McCaffrey right now is at $16 million. Bell is at $13 million. I know the guarantees are ultimately what matters, were all the trade stuff legitimate or was that just like a, a warning to get back in the building? Where did that all come from? What I was told is basically anybody can get traded. You know, it's kind of one of those things. Oh, anybody can get traded. I, you know, I think there was frustration. Um, if, if he had planned to continue to stay away, maybe you start to look at that a little bit more seriously. Or maybe if somebody throws in an offer that, you know, not to be the godfather, but like that you can't refuse. Yeah, I mean, you, you got to take it. But I don't think that they ever wanted to trade him. You know, I... I just think we, we all saw it. It kind of played out like very publicly and, and there was an extreme level of frustration and that's where all these reports were coming from. And, you know, that was kind of part of it, but I don't think that, I don't think that they were ever going to get that offer anyhow. Like nobody's going to give up a first round pick and pay 14, $15 million per season to a running back when, you know, you could just draft Clyde Edwards Hilaire, keep the 15 million and, you know, move on that way. That's just a lot to ask. So I, I don't think it was ever really a reasonable trade demand, but like if it came through, I think maybe then you, you consider it, but I, it's not something that they were, you know, I think it was just more like it was out there. It was a warning to him to let him know. And then, you know, you move on from there, but yeah, I, I, I would have been absolutely shocked if they actually traded him. Right. That's what I thought as well. I thought that was just kind of like a, a warning shot to him, like to come back into the building or something like that. Cause I, as you said, I would have been shocked if they did deal him in a year like this, where we know they have Super Bowl aspirations. Let's move on to week one. Let's talk about some real football here. Game of the week for me is saints and bucks on Sunday. How do you see this game going? And then how big of a threat do you think the bucks are for the saints this season? Because Diana Rossini was on here last week and she thinks the bucks won't even make the playoffs. And I don't agree with that. But how, how big of a threat do you think this Tampa Bay team could be in a year like this? Diana brought the hot take, huh? Yeah, um. she, it, was, it, was, <laughs> we, it was like a 15-minute conversation back and forth because I completely disagree with that. You know, as far as what to expect from the game, I mean, that's, I think that's the big question this week is kind of how the marriage of, of Bruce Arians and his offense comes together with, with Tom Brady. You know, Bruce's offenses have traditionally been a little bit more aggressive than, than what they do in New England. But, I mean – you bring in Tom, I, I think that there's going to be a marriage of ideals. And, 
you're going to do things that accentuate his strengths. And I think there's going to be some, you know, give there on Tom's end too. He'll, he'll do some things a little bit differently, but I don't know what that's going to look like. And I think that's probably the biggest challenge for the saints this week. And, you know, I, I wonder what they can do with their game plan on defense. Now they got a lot of players and really I think the identity of the saints this year is going to be with their safeties. They got a bunch of guys that can play multiple positions. Um, Two of their safeties, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, P.J. Williams, can play cornerback and safety, deep safety, in-the-box safety. Um, they want to move Malcolm Jenkins around a lot, but I don't know how much scheming you can actually do this week because you're going to have to be able to adjust on the fly quickly to any surprises you might get from Tampa Bay. And if you're just a little bit more playing sides or in things like that, with your cornerbacks, I think you can do that a little bit easier. Um, but I don't know. Look, I, I covered the Patriots last year. Um, yeah. The thing with Brady is is I don't think he's at a point in his career anymore where he's making other people better. I think he needs a team around him to make him better. And I think it's it's that's quite true with Drew Brees, too. I mean, they went out and gave Emmanuel uh, Sanders all this money, and that's atypical to the Saints. They, they've never really spent much on a wide receiver before. Uh, they spent money on Jared Cook to bring him in. So I think with both these guys – they're at a point where they need people around them to help them, you know, get the most out of their talent. So I think Tom's going to be better than he was last year. I wasn't super impressed with how he played, but, you know, I, I just don't think that was a good team either. So it, it's, it's going to be interesting. Um, you know, I think some of Tom's accuracy last year too, like he was still accurate, but, you know, in his prime, it was like that God level accuracy. I'm putting the ball on your left shoulder to lead you to that sideline and nobody's going to hit you. And that's going to help you get four more yards after the catch. He wasn't doing that last year. So, I don't know. It, it, it's it's going to be really interesting to see what he looks like in that offense. I do expect them to be good. And on the other part of that, yeah, I mean, I, I think they're going to be a threat to the to anybody in the division. They got a really good team. There's a ton of players there. Um, you know, I know the whole dream team thing has it, never really worked out for anybody. But, you know, I think the situation is a little bit different. Like the pillars on, on the box are, are still in place. Brady's a guy that comes in. You know, he's he's going to have, you know, it's been the knock on him forever is building chemistry with other guys. But I, I think that you saw him put in the work. These other, you know, Mike Evans, uh, Godwin are, are really good players. He's going to have chemistry with them. He's going to work with them. They're going to figure it out. He has chemistry with Gronk already. You know, the only guy is, is the slot receiver and OJ Howard are really the only people that are, are kind of new to the whole thing or, you know, the question marks of the whole thing. Um, so if he's on the page, same page with those other receivers, and I think he will be, they're going to move the ball. They're going to score points. You know, I, I think that they're going to be good all year. I mean, I, I would pick the Saints to win the, uh, the division, but I don't think Tampa's going to miss the playoffs. I'd be surprised if they did. Right. I mean, we both agree the Saints are the team in the NFC South. I think they are probably the most stacked team in the NFL. But then the thing with Tampa Bay was more like, I mean, listen, their offense obviously is loaded, but then their defense actually was pretty good last year. And now replacing the Jameis interceptions with Tom, who doesn't throw as many turnovers, I think that will just make a big impact immediately. That was kind of the argument we were having back and forth. Her argument was basically that she likes continuity and she thinks Tom is someone who needs everything to be perfect for him. And in a year like this, where he didn't have a full training camp and didn't have the OTA, OTAs and all of that in a preseason game, she feels like they're going to start off slow. Um, it, it was it was it was quite the argument back and forth, but um, it, it was it was it was a big hot take. The thing about this game that I wanted to ask you as well is that you know this game is going to be in the Superdome, and I've never been there before, but we all know that it is insanely loud, louder than what we hear on TV. 
do you think it will be a difference this year that the year starts without any fans in the stands? Is that something you've thought about? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think it's going to be a little bit different. They did have a couple practices in there this week. And, I, you know, I'll just say I can't speak for anybody on the field. But for me, like I walked in and at first and when you go into any one of these stadiums, you walk in and you kind of look around. It's like you look up and you're like, wow, this place is it's gigantic. It just feels huge and, and you know, vast and everything. But like as soon as I started practicing about five minutes into it, it felt like really normal. And it was just kind of like, OK, there, there's a team scrimmaging on the field and this is it. Like, this is what it's going to be like. And it, it wasn't that weird once they started competing. And I think for the players, quite the same way, they'll lock in a little bit. And I think that it'll be quite normal from, from that aspect after maybe a couple series or something. Um, you know, competitively, it is going to be interesting because they can pump in a little bit of crowd noise. But even as they were doing that, they, they had it set. Uh, we were in there Thursday. They had it set at the level and they were playing it and everything. And you can still hear people talking. So the one thing that I'm you know, looking at a little bit is I think defensively that teams are going to be able to do a little bit more because your safeties are going to be able to talk to your defensive linemen, you know, and they can hear things. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be a level of communication that I think probably wasn't always possible before. So I think that might help a little bit. Um, you know, offensively, I, I had a theory that, you know, teams would be able to still cadences and, and stuff like that a little bit better. Sean Payton, I asked him about it. He kind of, you know, stepped on that a little bit and said, you know, they're already – scouring every game for that and picking everything up already so that's not going to be a huge change there but I do wonder like you know if if there's no sound at all like if you got to go to maybe some more hand signals or, or things like that so I I just think there's things that are going to probably help and this is maybe a knock on the box here is it's going to help teams that have continuity and that know how to communicate and you know I think it would be easier for a coach like Breeze and Peyton to make in-game adjustments than maybe in Arians and Brady you know, who are still kind of getting to know each other a little bit. So, yeah, I mean, maybe early in the season while well, they're figuring things out and things are weird. And I think there's probably stuff that's going to come up that nobody's thinking about or talking about or even preparing for yet that's going to rise week one, week two that, you know, teams are going to have to adjust to. So, I mean, I, it's going to be a little bit weird, but I think from from a spectator standpoint, I don't know. I, I just don't think it's going to be – I don't think it's going to be that much different for for us watching, you know, on the field. The high-level stuff will be different, but I think – you know, team, teams will show up and want to compete. I don't think, like, the energy level is going to be a huge difference. But, yeah, you do lose home field advantage to, to some extent for sure. Yeah, so, you know, Warren Sharp was on here a few about a couple months ago, and he was talking about, you know, he's a big betting guy. And he's like, one of the things that I'm going to take into account this year for games is teams that have loud stadiums like Kansas City, like a Seattle, like a New Orleans, if there are no fans there, that could affect a game and the lines. And I'm not a betting guy. I don't really know that much about it, but I found that to be very interesting. And if it will have an effect on games this year for defenses and offenses, you know, with the, with the, the, you know, what, what they're saying on the field, you could hear them. It kind of, it, it kind of does make sense. Right though. It, it does. And I'm remembering, as you said that the first, I, it might've been Goff's first starter. Maybe it was in his second season. There, there was a game here where it was so loud for him that like he couldn't hear anything. Yeah. He couldn't get the, you know, McVay, the thing with McVay was that he was talking to him like right up to the snap and, you know, helping him read the defense and everything, at least early in his career. I don't know if they're still doing that. He couldn't hear any of that. And he came out and he was a total mess. And, you know, that was all, that was all the crowd, like stuff like that. You know, you aren't getting that communication. I don't know how many other quarterbacks do that, but it would make sense for, for other maybe young quarterbacks to maybe be getting some pointers right up until the device cuts off. So, yeah, I mean, that stuff definitely does need to be taken into account. And, you know, 
I hadn't really thought about it, but that is that is something there that um, is going to happen to, and you're going to lose at, at, at those home games. So for sure, yeah. I, I don't know a ton about betting lines, but it right. should definitely probably be uh, reflected in that to some degree. Yeah, it's for sure interesting. I remember that game of golf. I mean, they showed it on the Fox cameras that he signaled to McFay that I can't hear you. So mm-hmm. I think it will it will kind of make some sort of a difference this year as games get started. The next thing I wanted to ask you here, you know, I think it's safe to say this year is Super Bowl or bust. Would that be safe to say for this? You know, let me ask you like this. Do you think this is Drew Brees' last year in the NFL? Well, two parts to that. The first one, yeah, I mean, I think it's Super Bowl or bust, and the players are openly saying that it's Super Bowl or bust, so that's not even, you know, an an assumption. Like, they're all in for it. The clowny stuff shows you how far into it they are. And, you know, if if it was a regular year, I I would say, yes, I I would expect this to be Breeze's last year. The the one thing that gives me apprehension is, let's say that, like, something weird happens this year with this this virus, and he feels shortchanged by the way he's going out. Or, you know, he, he, he wants the proper send-off with, you know, full stadiums and, and you know, feeling the, the crowd, you know, cheering them on, cheering them out the door. There's just a lot of stuff this year that I think, I think that it's hard to think about it in normal terms. But I do think it was close. I think he was close to leaving this year. This was the longest he's ever taken to make a decision about coming back. Nobody's ever going to admit this, but Russell Wilson giving up the starting spot mm-hmm. at the Pro Bowl, that was, yeah. that was weird, man. Like, yeah. that doesn't happen. And coming out of that, that, there was some, you know, people were wondering if, if that was it. And he was talking about leaving at that point. He ultimately decided to come back. But, look, he also has a job already lined up with, with – uh, That's the thing, yeah. Yeah, so, like, who, who, who sets up a job when they're planning on coming back? So, I think everything was moving towards it being the end. He decided to come back for one more year. There's always a chance he comes back for another year. And, and the only reason I'm just waiting to see how it goes is because of how weird this year is. If they have an outbreak, let's say in December, and it ruins the playoff run, I could see him being like, no, 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 no. Like, we were too close to winning the Super Bowl. I'm coming back and trying this one more time. But, you know, I, I think if you're the Saints, you're preparing right now as if every year is the last year for him. Right, and you mentioned the Pro Bowl thing with Russell Wilson. The thing that's interesting is that Adam Schefter reported this in March, and I tweeted it out, that Jabriz told teammates and coaches at the Pro Bowl that he was going to retire. I don't know if you've confirmed this, but like he took some time off, gave it some thought, and decided to give it another run. So it, it was super weird when that happened with Wilson, and apparently there was some serious talk that he was going to leave the game and eventually decided to come back. Yeah, I mean, it was it was it was really close. So there was a lot of people that really thought it was it was right there. So I, I don't think that's that's wrong. Um, even even Joe Lombardi's like talked about how they they were prepared to go forward with you know Taysom Hill at, at quarterback if if he went away. So I think that was definitely a very real part of the thought process. And I think there was definitely um, a belief that that last year was his last year. And you know he's he's back this year. And again, it's just we'll see how it goes. It's just such a weird year that I I, I just. I I struggle to look at it and think that anybody can make a final decision right now when the world's just so weird. So at the end of the year, we'll see how he does it again. But I mean, I I think that, you know, you're probably, if you're the Saints, you're, you're, you're seriously evaluating Jameis and Taysom this year to see if they have it. And if they don't, you need to, you know, start making your plan for how you're going to get your next quarterback. Interesting. So, you know, you mentioned Taysom, and I'll bring back Diane Rossini, who was on here last week, because earlier this offseason, there was so much Taysom Hill talk in March and April, 
And a lot of it was that he is the future quarterback once Breeze retires. When I mentioned that to Diana last week, she said she cannot see it happening. Do you think Taysom Hill is the future? I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but like there was just so much talk about it a few months ago. I know it feels like a few years ago, but what's going on there? See, it's hard to it's hard to to say if he is or isn't because look, and I'm not like trying to hide from the question here. The thing is, is that like he's running he's running a, an offensive training camp where he's standing in the pocket, you know, doing full field reads. And I think if he was the quarterback, that they would probably develop something that better takes advantage of his legs. I think they would set him up with one read throws and just do different things to accentuate his abilities and, and hide some of the stuff he can't do. You know, if I had to bet on one of them today, if you made me place a bet on you know, it, 100% is going to be one of those two guys. Who's it going to be? I, I would have to go with Jameis at this point. And I think we only saw, what, 14 practices or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they weren't perfect. He's still throwing interceptions. You know, it's still the, oh, he had 12 good throws, but these two interceptions take them away and he looked great. And that's kind of the story of his whole career. But there's stuff he does that, look, I mean, the juxtaposition between him and, and even Breeze, like the stuff t- Jameis can do with his arm, it was crazy, like, He's making these throws that nobody else can make. There was one in the last Thursday's practice. It was like 40 yards down the field, and he, he split Janoris Jenkins and, and Malcolm Jenkins mm-hmm. in coverage on like a 40-yard pass, just dropped it right between them. And, you know, stuff like that in those moments, it's, it's like, all right. So if they can figure out through the year how to fix his ability to, you know, see the field, minimize the mistakes, you know, that, that's where I would have to put my money right now. He just looks closer to me than, than Taysom does. And, I think if you have the more traditional quarterback that can do these things, you're, you're going to be more inclined to go with him. Whereas with Taysom, I think no matter what, it's, it's a chance and it's a risk. Now, as a, somebody that likes watching football, I would love to see yeah. what they do with this guy after all these years of waiting for it. But I, you know, I just don't know if they have the option. I, 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 I don't know. I would have to bet on Jameis right now. That's exactly what Diana said. She, she would lean towards Jameis as well. And, you know, I just don't really know because – is he doing something at practice that we're not seeing? Because, there, again, there was so much talk this offseason about Taysom Hill as a restricted free agent. Someone's going to sign him. Will the Saints match? None of that happened. But after that, we got all these, you know, I think Jake Glazer was the one who said it, that, yeah, Sean Payne thinks he's the future. He believes he's the next Steve Young. I just don't know where that all came from. I really don't know where it came from. That's why I wanted to ask you that and asked her that as well. Both of you are leaning towards Winston, of course. As I said, there's still time until we get there. There's a lot of business to handle for the Saints until we get there. But I did find it to be something, it was a very interesting topic earlier this offseason. I do want to go back to Breeze for one second because these last two years, it feels like, I don't know, he kind of fell off near the end of the season. Like his arm just wasn't the same. Is that a concern for anyone there in New Orleans? No, I don't, I, I don't think so, because he, he's looked a little bit better this year. You know, I, there was all the stories about him throwing the ball 60 yards down the field, you know, working with Tom House this offseason. Didn't see a 60-yard throw, but he looked good hitting about 35 to 40 yards. You know, I think he could probably get it out there about 45. You start talking 50, I, I don't know if he, if he can make that throw anymore. But, you know, 35 on stride, 40 on stride, I think he can do that. And I, I think that's where he was. I think two years ago, going into that Thanksgiving game, like he was able to throw it on the field and then they, you know, he got hurt. Then they're in the playoffs and like the very first throw of that game, it's an interception. They're trying to go down the field to tag in and you saw his arm go away there. And then last year he was okay early in the year. And then, you know, the thumb injury happened and it went away again. So I, I think that like he just hasn't been healthy for a while. He's also 41, so it's going away. But him being healthy, I think that there's enough there 
for him to do it enough there to take advantage if, if a defense wants to cheat on him. I mean, he's not going to start airing the ball out all of a sudden, but, you know, it, it's there. And just going back to the Taysom and, and, and Sean thing, too. Look, I mean, like, Sean Payton really, really likes this guy. He believes in him, you know, to a point. But I think if it was all the way there, you wouldn't even be looking at Jameis right now. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't think that, that you would bring in option B. There wouldn't be a measuring stick. If you were all the way sold on Taysom, they, I just feel like things would be playing out a little bit differently than, than they have been to this point. But, you know, I do think that, that he thinks he can make Taysom a starting caliber quarterback. You know, I just don't know if he's convinced all the way that he's the absolute best option for them when Breeze goes away. Yeah, and Diana said something similar last week where, you know, if they really like Taysom Hill, then why would they start Teddy Bridgewater last year? And if they really like Taysom Hill, then why would they, you know, sign Jameis Winston this offseason? Those are all fair questions to ask. And simply put, the public has just not seen this guy throw the ball. So unless he's doing something at practice, which is blowing everyone away... I don't know where all this is coming from. I really didn't understand where all of this surfaced from during the offseason. And, you know, that's why if I was to, if the Saints were to pick somebody right now, I would think they would pick Jameis over Taysom Hill, like you said before. So there's still time until we get there. But I found it to be so interesting because the amount of talk that this got a few months ago, it was just insane to me. So it's good to get that cleared up here a little bit. A couple more things before we wrap this up. You know, there are so many high-profile names on this roster, but is there a player on this team that people might not be too familiar with who they should start keeping an eye on? I feel like everybody's so known. I, I don't know who anybody wouldn't be. Like, everybody knows Mike Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders, Jared Cook, Alvin. You know, Ty Montgomery had a really good camp, and I do think – and look – Every time I tweeted about him, I got like writers from other teams being like, oh, it's a time Montgomery summer hype stories. This is what happens everywhere. But look, Sean Payton and Adam Gase aren't the same person. And I think that Sean knows how to, you know, utilize his skill set. So I think he's going he's gonna to be like, you know, a decent little change of pace for them and, and contribute a little bit. Um, defensively, you know, people probably aren't aware that PJ Williams has started playing some safety and, and he had four interceptions in camp. Um, so he's been pretty good there, and I, I think that he'll be able to factor in the, you know, just some disguise and different packages, um, probably help them play some more dime looks than they did last year. They were only 18% last year in dime, 63% in nickel. Um, so that ratio might change a little bit with Malcolm Jenkins playing in the box a little bit. So, you know, I think those are the two maybe under-the-radar guys that, that might show up a little bit. Carl Granderson, the uh, pass rusher. Had a pretty decent camp, made some plays. You know, he, he had some legal issues last year coming into the league that caused him to, to fall out of the draft. But, you know, he, he can play a little bit. So he, he's another guy that's, you know, done pretty well. But like you said, I mean, it's a lot of big names. I feel like everybody on this team, both sides of the ball, like everybody kind of knows. So, yeah, I mean, those would be the ones. Interesting. So I actually had this discussion with Ted Wynn, who was on the podcast here earlier before you, and what I told him was that there really might not be a roster in the NFL as stacked top to bottom than the Saints, like not even the Chiefs, which really brings me to my next question because the one thing you always see on Twitter of the Saints is how are they paying this guy? How are they adding this guy? Where is this money coming from? How do they have cap? How are they trying to get clowny? We see this all the time, right? And usually it really, you know, they'll make it work. The front office does a great job, Mickey Loomis and all of that. But 
in a year like this where we are heading towards a flat cap or it's going to go down as low as 175 million the saints cap situation for 2021 is not looking great and on top of that they have some players who are in line for new deals or extensions right so is this a concern for you looking forward i know there's time until we get there but are you thinking about this is it a concern yeah, it is a concern. And the, the thing with them is that is if the cap kept going up, like they would have never, they've, they've done such a good job of, of continually pushing stuff forward and they have the nerve and the stomach for it. And they come up with new ways to, to hide money with, you know, the, they were kind of at the forefront of the voidable years. You know, they signed a guy for a one-year deal. That's really, you know, a four-year deal. So they can stretch out the, the, uh, the uh, signing bonus hit and prorate it and hide that money. And, you know, accounts 2 million on the cap. And then, you know, it's just it's just hidden and it's always pushed forward and they'll convert their base salaries and push it forward and they'll put roster bonuses in year two and year three instead of giving a big side bonus to, to push that forward and there was just this constant pushing forward and they could have kept doing it forever and next year I don't even think 21's the big issue I think they can still do a lot of their little things um, they can get down to 188 million and really not even cut anybody just converting signing bonuses pushing base salaries or com sorry converting roster bonuses pushing base salaries forward you know that's what with breeze retiring too but um i think it's going to 2022 because now all of a sudden you're hitting the wall and you have this huge lump of money that you're going to push into 2022 cap if the cap doesn't go up you aren't going to be able to hide it and you aren't going to be able to keep pushing and they're going to have to make a lot of reckless decisions next year if they want to keep this team together and all that's going to hit in 2022 so maybe you look at the health of the league and if there's fans in the stands, you, you know, you got money flowing again and the cap starts to go up a little bit. It's not as dire, but yeah, I think this is probably the first time and the internet has been more worried about the saints cap than the saints have for years. I think this is the first time like where, where it's actually starting to become a concern for, for them because it's just their mechanisms and the rising cap, which they've used, you know, basically to, as a means to continually just, shift the balance on their charge card, so to speak, that's going to go away. So that, that is, uh, you know, I think definitely something they're starting to sweat, but how much are they sweating it if they're out here, you know, chasing Clowney and giving him $10 million and, you know, you don't spend that money, you can at least roll it over to, to the next year and that helps you with the cap. So I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm starting to look at it and be worried about it. I don't know, you know, how much they're worried about it. Normally, you know, covering the Saints you just kind of learn it's just like you know when I first came in the very first question I ever asked Mickey Loomis was about the salary cap and how they manage it and how they were going to avoid all this stuff because you look at it and it looks crazy and then you just watch them do it year after year and it's just like all right they can do whatever they want it's to the point where I don't think they can just do whatever they want anymore though. right that's really the thing about the cap like for me I never really cared about the cap, you know, like for all these teams, I know at one point this offseason, we were talking about the Chiefs have $175 in cap or whatever it was. Like, I really didn't care about that because I know that they are going to find a way around it and to restructure contracts and to do whatever it is to figure it out. And ever since then, they've signed Mahomes and Chris Jones and Kelsey to extensions. 
But the thing is for the Saints, where you look at their cap situation for 21 and 22, if it was going up, fine, they'll be able to figure it out. But if it's really going to be flat or go as low as 175, then it really becomes concerning because not only do they have a bunch of contracts on the books already, they also have all the, you know, the Ramchecks and the Lattimores and the Camaras and those guys who are in line for new deals. It helps a little there. Just, just again, in this one-year window, this is where 2022 becomes a bigger concern because they're on their fifth-year year options next year. Like, technically, if you extend them, you can lower that hit for one year. Mm-hmm. But the, the bubble, again, is, is the next year. So, I mean, yeah. it's just all these little things where I think they can get by one year, and then if it stays flat, like, that's where it's going to be the bloodbath. Exactly. And again, there's so much time until we get to this point. There's games to be played, especially for this team, for the Saints. They're looking to get to the Super Bowl, and it all starts on Sunday against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with the ultimate goal of playing in Tampa Bay in February for the Lombardi Trophy. All right, Nick, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast, sharing all that insight and taking the time. Everyone can go and follow you on Twitter. It is at Nick underscore Underhill. Your site again is neworleans.football. You really go above and beyond with the work that you do covering the team. I highly encourage people to go check out the site. And right now for this week before week one, you can get $10 off your annual plan for this week before week one. Use the promo code week one. That is W-E-E-K one at New Orleans dot football at checkout. Go check it out. Nick, thanks for coming on and we'll chat again soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Special thanks to Nick Underhill for coming on the podcast this week. The Saints, without a doubt, will be a team to be reckoned with this year. And that week one matchup against Tampa Bay, that is the game I'm most looking forward to on Sunday afternoon. It is going to be a must watch if you are a football fan. Before I wrap up this week's episode, I do have to say, getting to this point where football will start on time is quite incredible. Buda Baker, the Cardinal star safety, said on Monday that if you would have told him a month ago that the season will start on time, he would not have believed you. But the NFL, the NFLPA, they have done a tremendous job of getting us to this point. And you really have to give credit to the league and everyone involved because up until this point, the NFL has not had any major hiccups with COVID. And even before training camp, think about it. The league deciding to go ahead with free agency. The league deciding to go ahead with the draft. There were people who wanted the NFL to hit the pause button. There are people who are still doubting the NFL right now. They are going ahead with the season. Over the years, the NFL has proven that they are willing to adjust and they are willing to make moves to make things work. They did it this offseason. They will do it this season. Roger Goodell said last week, the league will not get cozy now because games are starting. They are taking this seriously and as football officially gets underway on Thursday night, let's hope we have a successful and a full football season because that is exactly what everyone wants to see. With that being said, I want to thank you all for tuning in to this week's My Sports Update football podcast. Thank you for downloading each and every week. Thank you to our guests this week, Nick Underhill and Ted Wynn. They were both amazing. I'm your host, Ari Marov. I'll be back with another episode next week. Put a big smile on your face. Football is back. Enjoy week one, and I'll talk to you all next week.
This is Greg Olson, and I'm thrilled to introduce my new podcast, TE1. TE1 will chronicle a 60-year evolution of the tight end position, from its origins as an obscure, overlooked blocking role to the versatile superstar position that it is today. I'll explore the evolution of the position through conversations with some of the all-time game-changing tight ends. And just like the incredible tight ends we sit down with on my new show, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. This truck is all about grit, strength, and dependability. The same attributes it takes to be a tight end. 